<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Happy Sunday. Happy Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Monday, whatever day it is. Welcome. It's the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM. The Patriot Channel 125, the Bauer and Rose podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, hosted by our good friends at JustTheNews.com, John Solomon and the crew there. Gary, it's been a while. I was uh, uh, overseas. I was in Israel and in Poland at two extraordinary events that I was invited to because Gary had a dental appointment that day, couldn't make it, so they called me. Um the uh, Hertog Forum in Tel Aviv, and then a remarkable uh, ceremony in Poland. Um, so you and I haven't talked in about 10 days, and this is going to be the Gary Bauer Show. <laughs> well, it better not be. It better not be because uh, I'm, uh, my head's empty. But, Tom, before we go any further, um, folks, uh, uh, what Tom did not mention because he tends to be a, a pretty private guy is that um, he uh, he lost his his mother uh, in the last week, and that's why he, he returned to the United States quickly. Um, Tom, uh, I, I I think I only met your mom once or twice. I know that once at a dinner at your house, uh, uh, I was at the same table with your parents, and um, uh, but I but I know her son. And so I know she was a, a great mom, but I think it would be appropriate. I know you probably don't like to do this, but why don't you say a few words about well, her? Well, that's what, lovely. What that's lovely. Can I life? tell you a funny story that I hope and pray my sister uh, will not listen to this podcast? My, bro- <laughs> my, my brother will get a big kick out of it. My mother, um, I think the word Gary was uh, afraid to use, but I'm not, was spunk she uh, my father was a very successful independent uh strong-willed man who didn't hold a candle to my mother uh, my brother had a, uh, a a great line at mom's funeral that to her children mom was a cross between a doberman pincher a german shepherd and a rabid uh cigarette smoking pit bull but to her grandkids, she was a uh, uh, cavalier, you know, those little tiny dainty yes. dogs. Uh, but, I, but I do have a funny, there is a funny story. My mother was, as we would um, say in Yiddish, a yekka. She was a German Jew. I mean, not, she was born in America, but from German lineage. And she was absolutely fastidious about being on time. And my mother... Uh, and my father were married for 67 years, and it was the one issue that, I mean, they were at each other constantly because my father was not as punctual as my mother. (laughs) So here we are, 
um, at the gravesite. It was a small family gravesite event. We're all there. 11 o'clock Tuesday morning, it was called for. We're all there. Everyone's there, except mom. There's no, they're not, my mother's casket was not there. So I'm calling the home, you know, what's oh going on, goodness. what's going on, what's going on? Oh, we're coming. Uh, when do you plan on coming? Well, we're coming tomorrow. What do you mean tomorrow? Are you serious? Uh, yeah. So. Oh, man. <laughs> I can just imagine that your normally calm, placid persona was mightily cha- challenged by this development. I, I, I just, but the funniest thing, and it's the ultimate irony of ironies, my mother missed her own funeral. Was so, it a time zone issue? No, <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was, we redid it, the, you know, um, it was on Wednesday, but... It's just the ultimate irony because my mother, if the funeral was at 11, my mother would have been there at 830. You know, she was one of those people. My kind of woman. Yeah. <laughs> I, we're, we're going to we're going to go to Nor- my family and I are going to go to Normandy in a couple of weeks. And I'm fighting this impulse every day to head to the airport now <laughs> because it's international travel sure. and I'm not as familiar with that as I am uh, flying to, you know, Colorado or whatever. I have, I, this is one other anecdote I'll share and then nobody cares about this. So, but um, I was, we do care, Tom, we do care. <laughs> no, that's, that's Seriously. very, that's, that's very kind. I, um, uh, mom died on an uh, early Sunday morning. She was 90 uh, the end was near. She knew it. Um, she got up the, early that morning, showered by herself unassisted. She had live-in help uh, at the end because she wasn't mobile and was oxygen dependent. Got dressed, put makeup on, and then died. So all the women think that's fabulous. That's the way to go. That's the. Um, it might be a man-woman thing, but she got up to face the day got dressed, put makeup on. Uh, um, it, it does seem poetic. I mean, I, you know, I've been accused of... Um, you don't look of, any better in makeup. You just well, don't. Thanks, thanks a lot, because I look so extraordinary <laughs> well and without it. That's, that's the, uh, the answer. The, um, I've been accused of, of um, never relaxing dress-wise. So... You know, the rare times that I actually go down to the ocean where it meets the sand, otherwise known as the, the beach. beach. Yes. I, uh, you know, I've been accused of, 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 of wearing a sport coat and tie. My response always is, you know, I'm in Washington, right? I go to bed in a sports coat and tie in case an interview opportunity <laughs> comes in the middle of the night. I want to be ready. But I haven't thought about it that, you know, I always, I mean, how will they dress each of us, right? When, I mean, the, the decisions are going to be made by somebody other than us. I, I feel like laying out the clothes now. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, it's funny. My mother used to have a line about my father who shared that characteristic with you, that the reason my father wore a tie 24 hours a day, because without it, his head would fall off. Ah. Uh. There you. That is. That's a great line. Well, uh, I, I shared with you before we began our show that uh, someone once said to me that it doesn't matter what your age is, once you've lost your mother and your father, you, you have a feeling that can only be described as the feeling of being an orphan. Uh, 
yeah. that you're now on your own. Well, you've been on your own for a long time. I remember when uh, my mother passed away, she was she had been living with us at our house for a number of years, and it was a challenge, um, of course. A uh, tremendous uh, act of what we would call chesed, goodness, righteousness on the part of Carol. I mean, not minimizing you, but let's be honest here. Yeah, no, I, I was getting ready to say that because Carol listens to this uh, podcast, uh, and I wanted to make sure she got due credit. Um, uh, but w- when it happened, my mother had been suffering a lot, and when it happened, there was a sense of, you know, her passing was merciful. Yeah. Uh, but it, it but it didn't change the fact that it, it just was a terrible, empty feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. now, what was her age again, Tom? She was 90. She was going okay. to be 90 in a month. And she died, interestingly enough, on my father's birthday. My father died last fall, and, or last summer, rather. And when he died, um, she just went down very, I mean, it, there was a connection, you, you know? And oh, yeah. 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 So... Um, so she was uh, born in uh, nineteen thirty-three. Thirty-three, right? Um, well, as we actually segue here into something called the Bower and Rose Show, uh, just imagine, Tom, what she saw. In that the was exactly. Of the did you see years. my eulogy? Did I, for my father's eulogy, ladies and gentlemen, I um, had to have Gary Bauer edit it. I sent it in time, and you know he edited it. I didn't do that with my mom because everything was. He's so- not. He's not joking, folks. I had to edit <laughs> his eulogy for his father. And by the way, the invoice is still unpaid. <laughs> That's exact. It's so funny. You and I think so much alike. That is exactly what I said when my mother was born. Adolf Hitler was the newly elected Chancellor of Germany. The Jewish people at that time were powerless, voiceless, and friendless. And in the course of one lifetime, the miracle of miracles, the rebirth of uh, the Jewish state, uh, Jews today, thank God, through the state of Israel, have power. We have a voice. We're heard at the table of nations. And uh, we have friends that we didn't have. We have Gary Bauer. We have, and I'm not, by the way, that is not, um, that's genuine and true. Gary is, is, there aren't three more influential, powerfully committed, dedicated Christian Zionists uh, in the United States of America, anywhere else for that matter, than Gary Bauer. And that Uh, all happened in one lifetime, it's there's. I don't. I I know my history reasonably well as an amateur. I don't think there's any precedent for that kind of a transformation in that short a period of time. From when my mother was born, we walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and mm-hmm. today we're reborn and renewed, and we're the Jewish people anyway are a people of. Faith, not fate. You know, it's just, it's remarkable. Well, Tom, um, there are a lot of Christian Zionists, as you know, and it's... Uh, Very few like you, Bauer. Very well, few. Thank you. I, Most of them are better looking, 
But well, hey, let's not use that as a criteria. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, uh, Christians, if they're serious about their faith, take the owner's manual, which is the Bible, seriously. And so, uh, when Abram uh, has the little meeting in the desert uh, with with God, and God speaks a number of declarative sentences. Uh, serious Christians tend to sit up and take note because, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, problems with translation, et cetera. So God says to Abram, I I will be your God. You will be uh, my people. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will uh, curse. That's that's clear enough for us. Now, it may not be clear enough for uh, the State Department or for Joe Biden and Barack Obama and the, the the left wing of the left wing party, which increasingly uh, is at odds uh, with the nation, the modern nation of Israel. It is so amazing to me how many times that the Biden administration that's constantly spreading the disinformation that somehow Russia interfered in our election and colluded with Trump, all of which has been proven to be baloney, will nonetheless op- openly and aggressively interfere in the public life of the nation of Israel, lecturing the duly elected prime minister on how he can, what he can and cannot do in reforming your government so that the Supreme Court is not running the entire country. And it's, uh, and, and then, you know, if that's not enough, uh, then two days later, you know, he, oh, okay, time for another lecture on where Jews are allowed to live in the land of the Jews. <laughs> it just it goes on and on and on. And then I, the final thing I, I will say, Tom, is I will never understand you people. Well, <laughs> get in line. Some of you, in spite of all of it, uh, appear to have your hand wrapped around or somehow magnetically attached to the lever, the lever that says Democrat when you go into the voting booth, <laughs> you being an exception to that. No, it's right. I, um, I think uh, Norman Pedoritz, who uh, you know quite well, a very famous now, apparently uh, not well, and we wish him well, um, editor of Commentary Magazine for years and years and years, wrote a book called Why Jews Are Liberal. Um, and the first sentence of the book says, "I have no idea." Um, and then he and then and then he goes on and then he goes on to express it. But um, there is <laughs> there's a there's a funny aphorism in the Talmud which I can't quote because my I don't my Yiddish is lousy or my Aramaic is even worse. But um, that God is fair, God is fair and just, and if He gives. Uh, the Jewish people, uh, an extraordinary talent at particle physics, at m- music, at literary criticism, literary uh, criticism, or poetry, or whatever. Uh, it wouldn't be fair then to give us political good judgment. So he makes us political idiots just to just to even it out. Uh, um, well, you know, um, I, I hope our Massive audience is still with us. Uh, we're, we're kind of in a we're kind of in a niche here, but just to fill up the niche a little bit more, uh, it's it's very interesting to me, and in some ways very um, encouraging that the more orthodox the American Jew, 
That is, the more serious he takes uh, the Torah and its teachings, um, the more likely uh, that Jewish American is to vote uh, for conservative candidates, many of whom are people that take not only uh, the Old Testament seriously, but also take the more recent Testament seriously, too, and believe the two are, are, are intricate, intricately uh, linked to each other. Can I make another a generalization that will drive the left crazy? Sure. Religious believing committed Christians are wonderful people. They're just wonderful people. They're good people. They're trustworthy. They're reliable. They're 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 charitable. Um, they have you know, unlike me, they're not sour pusses and negative all the time. They're 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 a delight to be around. They're de- they they lift you up. They're a delight to be in the presence of. They just are. You accepted, but now now see you were doing so well there. Uh, 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 I I, uh, I want to remind – well, our audience doesn't know this, but once, Tom, you and I got in an argument about something. I know that's hard to believe since we agree on so many things, although Ukraine occasionally has shown right. its ugly head in recent months. But um, in, in uh, a heated discussion with you, I said in great frustration – that I was beginning to think that you, in fact, were the source of all anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and of course I was kidding. I was, no, it's actually, it's, it's, it's actually the case. Let me um, segue into something that, that might begin to be relevant. I was um, very honored, deeply honored. There was a, an event in uh, Israel last week, Roger Hertog, a tremendous, tremendous... Uh, philanthropist, man. Uh, brilliant man, wonderful man, loves Bauer for some reason. Um, the uh, Hertug Forum was held in Tel Aviv, which was an off-the-record uh, gathering. There were um, the attendees, I don't think, were secret. There were five or six senators, uh, Secretary Pompeo, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, many leading Israelis, uh, two former Prime Ministers of the United Kingdom. Uh, it was a private event, um, and it was, uh, I guess, Chatham House rules where you're not allowed to quote. But there was, there was one Walter Mead, who's the global affairs columnist at the Wall Street Journal, um, spent an hour speaking with Prime Minister Netanyahu, and that was that was public, so I I can quote that freely. He, he had a column, by the way, when you were out of town in the Wall Street Journal about just how close we are to a major war in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, This was what struck me in that conversation. A lot of things did. Uh, Walter Mead was talking about um, how Israel uh, transformed itself in the last 30 years into really uh, Israel is a technological world power. Some of the, you know, greatest... Uh, technological innovation, scientific advancements, that kind of stuff. And, and Netanyahu cut him off and said, because Walter was trying to make the point about how great Israeli education is, which is not true. It's not great. STEM, you know, we got to teach kids science, blah, blah, blah. And he says, y- you know, Walter, um, 
What country in the last hundred years produced the greatest scientists in the world? What country had the greatest scientific educational infrastructure in the world? It's, uh, Walter didn't, he said, the Soviet Union. And yet, what did that tell you? That brilliance without freedom is meaningless. And in the 1990s, about 1.2 million Russian Jews moved to Israel, and that was synonymous with, or coterminous rather, with the rise of Israel as a technological superpower. And that was, that was Netanyahu's point. He said, the Soviet Union had the finest mathematicians, the finest physicists. They were better than ours. They were the greatest, uh, most scientifically advanced, but without freedom, there's no innovation. There's no creativity. The country was a total backwater, a third world. Uh, they couldn't produce anything. They couldn't develop anything, not because they didn't have the talent, but because they didn't have the freedom. Yeah, you know, there's a, a, one of Churchill's famous speeches uh, where he, he's talking about how Britain will resist and, uh, and he's describing the, the Nazi enemy. And uh, he refers, he uses a phrase uh, that, that this is an evil made worse by perverted science. And uh, the phrase always jumped out at me and it seems particularly relevant today. Because so much evil is being done in the name of science by people that have an agenda that's not scientific at all, but they're using the tendency in the United States to respect experts and to believe experts know better than we do uh, to get us to buy into all sorts of things. And we, we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about how perverted science led us to make terrible decisions during COVID and is now uh, part of the perverted science is now part of the effort that, that literally is erasing women by saying that you can't define what a woman is. And if somebody just thinks they're a woman, that's enough to be a woman. Uh, so, you know, a lot of things change over the years, Tom, but they, they, um, they also stay the same. You, you were saying, you know, that your mother had seen, had lived during a time when Jews went from being powerless to being restored to your homeland. Since I'm the guy that, you know, believes the gas glass is half empty, or I'll sometimes say, what glass? Um, <laughs> let me just point now, out that Bauer we, will, Bauer sees a glass that's nine tenths full, and he'll say, it's one tenth empty. There, there you go. That's even better. <laughs> that when, when she came into the world, we, we knew what the definition of marriage was. We knew there were, <laughs> there were two genders, male and female. In fact, she, she and your relatives uh, would have known it more than anybody because the Torah begins with, you know, the beginning of mankind. Um, and, and in the time that has passed, I mean, there, you know, even in, in those early years of the 20th century, everybody knew what Judeo-Christian civilization was or Western civilization. We all knew what it was built on, what the values were, why it was important, why it was, in spite of the flaws, all institutions created by people are, in spite of those flaws, that this 
Judeo-Christian, this Western civilization had produced more freedom for more people than any system of government in the world, that uh, it is a, a system that that has provided more opportunity for people, more advancement, that regardless of the color of your skin or how humble your birth is. Um, and I, I know, you know, Tom, I know that in these latter years of your mom's life, she uh, probably wasn't reading the New York Times every day or sitting in front of Fox News. Uh, and, and that probably in its own way was merciful too, because if she was, it would have been disorienting to, to realize that in the course of your life, so much of what was certain and true is now up for grabs. And the outcome of that battle about normalcy and, uh, and reliable standards of right and wrong and where liberty comes from and the purpose of life, the outcome of that battle will more determine the fate of America and the future for our children and grandchildren even then how many ICBMs we have in silos somewhere in Montana. You know, there was, uh, just to prove that I'm, <clears throat> that I actually did read one news story in the last eight days. Uh, Anthony Blinken in New Delhi for a conference on Indo-Pacific, whatever it was, seeks out a meeting with Sergei Lavrov, who's the Russian foreign minister. He seeks it out. And what's his complaint? Well, obviously he complains about Ukraine, which is fine. But what's his big issue? That the Russians have decided to uh, withdraw from the New START Treaty. <laughs> uh, uh, as, as, as if... As if um, the Russian unwillingness to continue to abide by a treaty that was grievously, grossly pro-Russian to begin with, um, the notion that somehow if we disarm, everybody else is going to disarm is the most ludicrous, preposterous, that's, that's what he... That's what he thought about. That's what he talked about. That I mean, that 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 this is a um, uh, an issue that that he's concerned about. You know, you deal with conventional threats by conventional means, but you have to deal with unconventional threats by unconventional means. And the real problem with the START treaty, which limited interme- intermediate range nuclear missiles, giving the Soviets an advantage. Um, applied for the Russians only to Europe, but to us it was global, which means that under New Start we are unable to develop the unconventional means to attempt to deter China from completely lining uh, the Western Pacific with these inter- intermediate range nuclear weapons that we're not able to deploy. And that, it, it's just so... Um, it it absolutely it's insane. That's the it's yeah. that's that's the that's the word for it. So um, since you haven't been with us the last week, uh, well, I actually wasn't wasn't here either. Um, why don't why don't you take us out? And when we get back, you know, we've been talking about at least in part the threats that we're facing on a variety of international fronts. Uh, when we get back, let's talk about. This week, which was another week of insanity here on the home front, uh, from the president to the attorney general's testimony before the Senate this week, 
the signs are everywhere that America is off the rails at the very moment we need to be a serious nation. You are listening to the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back, everybody. The Gary Bauer Show, this time uh, sidekicked by, by, uh, by Tom Rose. It's a delight and pleasure to have you with us. I, I want to wrap up and uh, say one quick thing, and then we can get into all the stuff that um, uh, you were referring to anyway. And it, it occurred to me during the break. The irony here, there's a huge irony that the very people who say that we can contain Iran or that we should contain Iran and other nuclear rogues like North Korea with conventional deterrence, right, which is why we unilaterally say we're not going to deploy medium-range uh, uh, nuclear uh, capable missiles in and around the uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, these are the very people working hardest to undermine the very deterrence that they claim can work. Uh, yeah, no, it's a great point, Tom. You know, uh, uh, this, this is worth saying again, even if we've said it in the past, and I can't remember if we have or not. But we, we, these really are very dangerous times, and, and we've got a guy in the White House that doesn't, doesn't – I mean literally doesn't seem to know where the heck he is at some, at some times. And there's, there's whole sentences now, Tom, coming out of his mouth during speeches that, that make no sense. They, they're just gibberish. I mean I, I, can't, I can't believe that nobody is doing anything about this. But so it's very dangerous times. We've been in dangerous times before. Every time we have been in moments of great challenge, uh, our own revolution, uh, the Civil War, uh, World War One, World War Two, uh, you know, the attack on 9-11 even uh, in its own way, um, there was in America a great reservoir of, um, of stored up Judeo-Christian values and millions and millions of people that believed in those. And it's what sustained us. FDR, you know, uh, goes on radio and says that uh, the battle, uh, the World War II battle was between the crooked cross of Nazism and the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, you, you couldn't say that today. That would just cause all kinds of problems. But, but there, there's always been that element there. People, our, our presidents, Lincoln, Washington, called on the God of the Bible for our sustenance, for our courage to bring us through these difficulties. And here we are now maybe facing the greatest dangers ever. We've got Civil War-type divisions at home. And uh, a rising power in communist China, unlike anything we've ever faced before, and the number of people that still believe in in this core idea of um, that liberty comes from God, that God's hand was in the founding of America, that that group of people shrinks every day, and it's a witch's brew. It, it's uh, it almost seems biblical in its implications. 
uh, that. What do you make? Not- what do you make of what's going on in Ashland, Kentucky? Is that the most? I, I just find it, and I'm not Christian. I uh, Asbury College. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's in Ashland, uh, isn't it? No. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, it's uh, that's okay. Uh, it's about tw- I think it's about 12 miles outside of of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, close to where I attended a little Southern Baptist uh, school G- at Georgetown uh, before I went to Georgetown Law School here. Uh, it's um, it's extraordinary, Tom, and it is. And the media won't give it much attention at all, but it is spreading to other uh, campuses. Uh, first, talk a Christian. bit about talk about what it, what originally happened. This is a go ahead. This is a church at a small college. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> uh, they uh, they they would have chapel three times a week, and you would have to go to X number of chapels in a, in the course of a semester. I mean, it was a requirement because this is a school. It's a Christian uh, college, I, sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, they they had a message a few weeks ago uh, from a, a spiritual leader. Uh, I, I don't know if he's actually a pastor or not on campus, and um, it, it's it, it's a pretty run of the mill message. I mean, I've I've heard it many many times before. Ironically, Tom, when when he was finished, uh, he texted his wife, um, uh, bombed again. Uh, you know, heading home with my tail between my legs. Oh, you mean it, like, you mean it was a bad uh, a he, bad he sermon? Feel like he didn't feel like anything had happened of any consequence. But what he didn't know is after he left, for some reason, uh, 10, 15, 20 students said later they felt like they couldn't leave, that they were supposed to stay and pray. And they did that. And, and a couple of them started spontaneously singing. And, uh, and then other students who went on to class said they felt uncomfortable that they were in class and because they thought, I wonder if anything's happening at the chapel. So other students started going back to the in chapel. In other words, this was totally totally, ground, totally grassroots. It, it, yes. not, the pastor didn't say, let's stay, uh, pray a little longer. So anyway, it gets, then there are tens it of... It just gets bigger and bigger. And it, and, it's uh, 24 and hours a day. 24 hours a day. It went on for <clears throat> weeks and... Uh, and then it literally became um, a problem for the conduct of education on the campus. Because they weren't going to class. Well, not only were they not going to class, but people started streaming there, not only from all over the United States, but from all over the world. People were coming from Africa, from Europe, from Asia, because they heard that God was moving in central Kentucky and they wanted to be there because this might be, they thought, the beginning of a third great awakening in America. I think that's incredibly well said and I hadn't thought of that. And uh, the implications are what? I mean, this continues to go on. It's uh, one of the remarkable. It's it's just it's like George Whitfield in the early 17th century, who was the first great. American itinerant preacher and in many ways uh, personified, adumbrated the rise of American Protestantism in a, in, a, in a way that transformed the early colonialists into a true 
people, as Abraham Lincoln once said, the almost chosen people. That y- yes, absolutely. We, um, yes, but that was led by the difference. There is that that was led by this incredibly charismatic, brilliant, multilingual. Uh, uh, super energetic, uh, remarkable figure, and this is spontaneous. Yes, and the school eventually, it would, you know, now there are, you know, they had to set up rows of, of outdoor johns, right? Where do all these people sleep? Uh, so they, they literally had to move all this off the campus into buildings surrounding the campus because the, Kids couldn't do their finals. They could. So uh, students at the college started feeling moved to, on their own, going to other nearby colleges to describe what was happening. And so places like Cedarville, a Christian college in Ohio, uh, something broke out there. Um, Now, while this is happening, Tom, um, a movie just premiered um that's the story of the pastor that uh and i'm drawing a complete blank on his name sadly i'm going to get ridden out of the christian faith um a pastor that in the in the 1960s in the middle of all the hippiedom and drugs and free sex and all that, uh, no this this was an american out in california oh. uh who um started a church and said, uh, look, it doesn't matter where you've gone off the rails. Come here. You'll be accepted. But we're going to tell you when you come here to repent and get your life back on track. And it it, it was the beginning of the Jesus people is what they were mm-hmm, referring to. Mm-hmm. As. So there was this phenomenon of these long haired hippies you know, all over the streets of San Francisco and other big cities, giving out religious tracts on why people needed to accept Jesus. Um, so this movie comes out about that pastor and about uh, uh, what happened there. And um, uh, the guy that plays Fraser, uh, uh, Chelsea Grammer. Yeah, T- Chelsea Grammer plays the pastor in this movie. And, of course, a lot of people think it's not a coincidence that just as this movie is coming out, this, this thing in Asbury started a few days before the, the movie premiered. And uh, so these are both happening at the same time. Now, uh, I, was with, I was on a conference call yesterday with a group of, of uh, religious leaders from around the country, and uh, they were telling me things I had not been reading about that now on secular campuses, Christians on those campuses are getting together and saying, look, let's just go to the common area tomorrow night and start praying and singing and just do it. And they are. And other students are walking over and saying, what's this all about? And they're being told. And so several people on the call yesterday said that on secular campuses now, students are publicly renouncing their current lifestyles and are being baptized in um, fountains on some of these secular campuses. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's very intriguing. It's very encouraging. Uh, you, you know, B- Billy Graham used to do these um, 
revivals all over the country. Sure. And, uh, you know, Tom, they, they did research on this. Now, he would go in and just do a couple of nights in, in a city, and literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of people would come. They would do them in, in big stadiums and so forth. But some researchers, um, what happens when a revival happens in a community? Well, um, crime plummets. It just does. I mean, um, you, 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 you don't have there's to worry a, There's so the, f- the famous question of if you're, um, it might even have been you who uh, posited this, this uh, scenario. If you're walking down a dangerous street in the middle of a uh, crime-filled inner city and you see two large gentlemen, large men walking toward you that otherwise might look menacing, would you or not be reassured to learn that they had just come from a Bible study? Yeah, that, that, that I, I have said that. I, it, it is so powerful, Tom. I would like to take credit for it, but that, that, wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't be Christian of me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if, uh, I, I think the analogy I've often used is if you're, you know, if you're in a dark alley and, and, uh, in some major U S city and, uh, you, you know, you hit a dead end and you turn around to walk out and you see five young men walking toward you, would you feel better or worse if you finally noticed that they were carrying Bibles? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So exactly. A- anyway, uh, America desperately needs revival. I mean, if for if for no other reason, Tom, that the founders believed that only a virtuous people could remain free. And if we need any more evidence of that, just read the newspaper. I mean, everything we're seeing are things that are a result of a lack of virtue, a lack of a belief in reliable standards of right and wrong. Uh, stuff that's happening are just pure evil crime that makes previous criminals look like choir boys. It is so horrible in its nature. And what what happens when those things take place? People demand security. And, what, right. and how do you get? You have more government. You have more police. You have more restrictions. So small, limited government is incompatible with a nation that rejects virtue. Uh, it's, it's not possible. I mean, read John Adams' uh, letters, this, this three massive volume exchange of letters between uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, and more importantly, between Madison and Jefferson. And that issue is repeated throughout the a a a free people must remain a moral people or they will no longer be a free people and that's <clears throat> i know we've 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 talked about this that culturally america today uh, increasingly resembles uh, uh, middle and uh, later stages of weimar germany in the 1920s and early 1930s <clears throat> pardon me a culture where everything goes where there are no limits there are no borders there are no social guardrails and as a result of that and this is what the nazis totally played into the communists too but far less effectively the more chaos they could sow the more mayhem the more insecurity the more um uh utter fear for the conduct of one's daily life, the demand first and foremost 
written in in our genetic code is stability. So the very force that is creating the instability then presents itself as the solution to the problem by creating order, i.e., a, a tyrannical uh, dictatorship that stopped the street violence and gave people in the in the early days a sense of order and direction. That's what we lack, and I think in many ways those who seek to disrupt and transform an ordered society based on Judeo-Christian values, Western civilization, they seek the same thing. The order in the the order that they seek to disorder, the chaos that they seek to impose through everything from violating every certainty of human existence, from sheer undeniable biology itself to notions of responsibility or commitment or fidelity, that this will inevitably lead to chaos and they will be the beneficiaries of it because people cannot live in a disordered society. That, that's exactly right. The pastor is Greg, uh, Greg Laurie. Um, and that, his association with that movement back in the 60s uh, really defined his, his whole life. Um, and, and again, it's, it's raised, uh, needless to say, it's raised some eyebrows that this movie comes out uh, completely uncoordinated with the events that, that took place or taking place, place at Asbury. And so we'll, we'll see where it goes. You, you know, uh, you mentioned Whitfield, Tom. There's a, um, th- there's a great story that Franklin Graham uh, wrote in his – not Franklin Graham – that um, um, Benjamin Franklin uh, wrote in his diary – uh, he got into an argument with Whitfield about where a orphanage should be built, and they were knocking heads. And then Whitfield comes into the community where Benjamin Franklin lived, and Franklin um, was still angry because Whitfield went on and did what he wanted to do on this orphanage, not what Benjamin Franklin recommended. So Whitfield, nonetheless, knew what a great preacher he was. Um, Franklin knew what a great preacher Whitfield was, and so he went went to hear him speak. And but before he went, he emptied his pockets of all of his money, because Benjamin Franklin knew that if he got there and started listening to Whitfield, no matter how angry he was, he'd start donating all of his money. <laughs> so he wrote in his diary that. Uh, you know, he's standing there with his, I can imagine, you know, Benjamin Franklin with his arms crossed, you know, and a chip on his shoulder, and he's listening, and tears are coming to his eyes, and he's being moved, and, you know, he reaches into his pocket, to, you know, and he goes, oh, no, I didn't bring my money. So he starts borrowing money, Benjamin Franklin, from the people around him, signing little notes, I'll pay you back in 24 hours. So that he could give money to the guy he was so furious with because Whitfield was just an orator. Now, that to me is miraculous speech to be able to move people. But what's more miraculous about that? To give a sermon in Asbury that even the speaker thought, well, that's not going to move anybody. And yet people are moved, which is leading a lot of Christians to believe, well, what's moving them is the God of the Bible. Hmm. You, you know, Abraham Lincoln, his Cooper Union speech, 
um, in early 1860 as he was uh, mounting what in the 19th century would constitute a presidential campaign. And Lincoln was under great criticism, uh, both in his 1855 run for the Senate and then again 1858, that he was not quote-unquote churched. They did not, Lincoln did not regularly attend church, but he knew the Bible literally from front to back, could quote Psalms at will in King James fashion, um, in a, in a true autodictic fashion. So he was on the defensive about his own religious belief or faith. And at Cooper Union, he said, my, first of all, of course there's a God, of course there's a creator. Uh, and as far as God's role in promoting and protecting justice in the union and ridding the evil of slavery that stains us all, he says, quote, woe unto a world without such a God. And I think that ended that debate. Um, but uh, he, so he, the, he, 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 he was pretty smart, that Lincoln fellow. He, he was. Um, so uh, the, the Washington Post a number of years ago uh, on Lincoln's birthday uh, ran a section where they had Lincoln experts talk about Lincoln and specifically about his religiosity. And all these Lincoln experts decided that the evidence was overwhelming. He was not a regular church attender. And there's no evidence, they said, that religion and Christianity played really any role in his life. That's not true at all. Which is just Total insane. Total not these, true. Totally. This is another example, right, of the experts being the dumbest people in the world. I mean, the only way you could come to that conclusion is if you have a hidden agenda and you don't want America today to be falling, or you're just, you're so dumb, you've never actually read Lincoln's speeches. I mean, you can't read his second inaugural, which refers directly or indirectly to God and the Bible, I think 14 times. 14 times God, page. 14 times God personally is mentioned, four direct biblical quotes, and three references in general <clears throat> to the Lord of hosts and his guide to us, i.e. the Bible, in a 750-word speech. Can you imagine today? Uh, 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 <laughs> hey, Tom, I don't have to imagine. I, you know, I was in this debate in Iowa in the Republican primary uh, primaries in 2000, and the debate moderator asked all of us, and everybody's on the stage, me and Bush and, and uh, Forbes and, and, and uh, uh, Senator McCain and so forth. And we were asked what individual had had the most impact on our lives and our philosophy and how we thought about things. And both Bush and I uh, said, uh, Jesus. And... Um, when they asked Bush to elaborate, he said, well, if, if I have to explain it to you, um, I, I, you wouldn't under, you probably wouldn't understand. <laughs> uh, and, and when they asked me, I said, well, for example, you know, I, I read the Bible and, and among other things in the Bible, it says, you know, um, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I, you know, I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was hungry and you fed me. Uh, you know, you visited me in prison and so forth. I said, I, you know, as president, um, I would be molded by the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of my faith. And that ought to make you feel better about my presidency 
not worse about my presidency. Um, well, the, the reason I bring it up, Tom, is that before Bush and I walked off the stage, there were at least a dozen national organizations that had issued press releases condemning both of us for violating the separation of church and state by saying in answer to the question that Christ had had the biggest influence in our lives. Well, we were supposed to lie, I guess, or we were supposed to say, well, there is somebody, but I'm not allowed to say his name. <laughs> so well, what was, imagine what, today. Imagine today. No, I mean, right? what was the Jonathan Swift quote? It's useless to try to reason a man out of something he was never reasoned into. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we should say at least something about current politics, uh, uh, Tom. And the thing that jumps out at me is that um, – This week, uh, a woman testified before Congress. It was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen. She had lost both of her sons uh, to uh, the drug epidemic. Um, And uh, can I interject one thing quickly? Because a lot of folks, a lot of folks conflate uh, fentanyl deaths with drug overdoses. Mm. This is. Not correct, because most of these are fentanyl poisonings. Yeah. It's, an, it's actually a murder. Fentanyl is mixed illicitly and unreportedly into a lot of these Internet drugs that kids buy, everything from uh, the attention deficit. I mean, it, it, it's laced in, in everything. So... Um, to and I think the whole society does this, and it's a it's a mistake and a terrible disservice, particularly to the grieving mothers and fathers whose children have have been poisoned to death. It's not like a heroin overdose, or these are quasi innocent victims of a horrific, horrific, deadly poison. And for the president to mock that, to ridicule that, I I just don't. It yeah. was so beyond the pale. I, I, it, well, it was, and, and you and you just took the end of my story because we sorry. hadn't mentioned why I was bringing it <laughs> I'm up. Sorry. But, but that's okay. But first of all, a lot of the Democrats boycotted the hearing. Second of all, I she was there to make to to be the spokesman for the growing number in the thousands and thousands of parents that have lost children to fentanyl. And, and so there, there's that. But then Biden speaking to House Democrats at a retreat, I believe, in Baltimore, uh, says, and we, you know, we had this this uh, woman uh, testifying about uh, the loss of her sons. And, uh, uh, you know, that fentanyl came in uh, when Trump was president. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm not going to go down that road anymore. And then and he moves on to something else. I mean, good grief, Tom. Did you talk about a lack of empathy? There shouldn't be a chuckle within 50 miles of mentioning that woman that lost two sons to fentanyl. What is wrong with this man? And, you know, he is... He has invited empathy for himself and for his family when people criticize Hunter Biden. He will say, well, you know, Hunter uh, has, has wrestled with addiction and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's beaten it. Or, or he will bring up uh, a son that he lost uh, from, to brain cancer. 
um, which any father would want to do. I mean, so he, but he knows how to appeal to people's sense. But he lies about it, of course. He oh, died yeah, in Iraq. He, he died a burn pit uh, induced yeah. cancer when, in fact, he tragic. I mean, the story is tragic enough and sad yes. enough that you don't need to embellish it. His son died of brain cancer. That's bad enough. And, now, and I'm telling you, Tom, if 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 Donald Trump uh, had said what. Uh, Biden said, had chuckled uh, out loud about the, the, a woman's, while, while mentioning a woman had lost two sons, there literally would be a mob at the White House, and if they could get to him, they'd take him out and they would lynch him. That's, we would hear about it over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what? You and I would criticize Trump for doing such a thing. Most of the the American media didn't even report about this bizarre little laugh of the president's in that context. And, of course, it makes no difference if her sons died from fentanyl that crossed the border when Trump was president because the Trump administration, with the opposition of Biden's party, was doing everything it could possibly do to build the wall, secure the border, and stop the fentanyl coming in, whereas he is doing everything he can to not secure the border, to let millions of people walk in the country. And if you walk into the country, you're obviously able to bring drugs into the country. It's not that hard. It certainly isn't. It certainly isn't. We're way over, by the way. Yes, Bella. yes. But you know what? Uh, this was the power show. I think we show. should do an Asbury. I feel the the leading of the Holy Spirit, Tom, and I'm I'm going to do it until I can convert. Are you going to go down the there? Are you going to go down uh, there? Are you going to go down there? I haven't. I have not gone down. Um, I'm trying to get Pence to go down there. He spoke with um, the pastor who you referenced earlier, whose name I, of course, now have uh, inexcusably forgotten. The pastor who sent his wife a note that he bombed. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, and I I uh, I can't think of his name either, but. Uh, um, well, look, I, I'll tell you one thing, Tom, in the aftermath of... Uh, and this is open, right? Anybody can go and uh, from anywhere, correct? Well, but, but as I said, the school is now basically closed the chapel to only students. Okay. But the local community has opened up other places oh, wow. where people are meeting. And I, I think that the, the totals are up over 50,000, 60,000 people have come from out of town, uh, and there there have been um, uh, many acts of repentance, spontaneous uh, people weeping as they publicly confess uh, the errors they have made in their lives. Um, it, um, I think, you know, you don't have to be a Christian, Tom to know that there's nothing bad that could come out of this, really. I mean, when when we're reading about teachers being assaulted by their own students, of, uh, of, uh, of men dressed like women reading stories to little children, of schools teaching uh, our, our children that if you're white, you are genetically born to be an oppressor, and if you're black, uh, you will always be oppressed. The evil that is abroad in the land is almost beyond description. So anything that smacks of goodness and decency is something that should be welcomed. And, of course, I welcome it for uh, 
other reasons that I, I'm hoping it's uh, a return in our country back to uh, uh, the the Lord and Savior that I accept. Well, amen, and there's not um, a thinking, moral, sentient person who wishes and prays for a prosperous, peaceful, uh, powerfully individualistic, free United States. Anyone of any faith, well, maybe not any faith, but most of the faiths, who humbles themselves to the extent where they recognize and acknowledge there is a being greater than themselves who judges them, who monitors them. Those people are bound to be better human beings. Maybe not perfect, but much better human beings than they would be if they didn't have that humility and they didn't have that conviction. And, and, I, and as we uh, come out here, Tom, I just want to remind uh, folks that that Christi- Christianity is aspirational. You know, um, it, it's not like, oh, I'm a Christian now; I don't sin. The 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 point man is is because of the fall is uh, is a sinner. What Christianity says is that we have the answer to the sin that we know the the road to forgiveness for the sin um so um at any rate i guess uh we we should make an altar call at this point Tom. But you're probably already in trouble you might want to you might want to wear a covid mask when you go to synagogue no 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 there's a joke about that there's a joke that the synagogue in miami was uh robbed over the weekend and they stole a bunch of precious uh, judaica but worse than that they got out of there with five hundred thousand dollars worth of pledges <laughs> oh that's that's great that's great have a have a great couple of days a great weekend folks uh may god bless and keep you all in this greatest of nations on god's green earth